Welcome to the third episode of our podcast series named The Most Important Issues in Business Crime, where we ask leading business crime experts to identify the most important topics you need to know about in a particular jurisdiction. The object here is to briefly identify the most important issues, but not to catalog every potential one. Today, our episode focuses on business crime in Latin America, and I'm very excited to be joined by Garrett Alpers, partner at Control Risk, a global specialist risk consultancy. Garrett, who joins us from Brazil, is an expert in complex investigations into fraud, corruption, and other ethics breaches, and is the head of Control Risk Brazil and Southern Cone Business. He has over 20 years of experience working in Latin America with an extensive understanding of business practices and the risk environment in the region. Garrett, thank you so much for joining us on this episode. I note that you recently published with the Americas Society and the Council of the Americas, the fourth edition of the Capacity to Combat Corruption Index, a data-driven analytical tool for assessing Latin America's ability to detect, punish, and prevent corruption, which is available on the Control Risks website now. Here, what are the key findings from the index with respect to the anti-corruption enforcement environment in Latin America? Well, um, Doug, first of all, big thank you to you and the Linklater's team for inviting me here. It's, it's a real pleasure uh, to join your podcast. So uh, I guess first comment is, you know, differently than other corruption indexes out there, the Capacity to Combat Corruption Index, it doesn't look at perceptions of corruption or economic damages of corruption. What we tried to do together with the Council of the Americas is really put an index together, look at 15 countries across Latin America to assess their capacity to actually do something about the problem of corruption. So essentially uh, enforcement, you know, deterrence, prevent, and obviously punishment of corruption. Um, the uh, key purpose I think is also important is not to name and shame countries. We do rank them, but we don't want to name and shame them, but really to foster a public debate about what's working well in anti-corruption enforcement and maybe what's not working so well. So getting back to the index then, uh, this year's, which is the fourth edition, as you mentioned, reveals a pretty mixed picture across Latin America. Um, if we look at the top of the ranking, Uruguay was again the standout performer. Uh, it was followed by Costa Rica and Chile. And these three countries were also ranked, uh, you know, amongst the top three since 2020. Um, there have a couple of, uh, I guess, common characteristics in, in common, these uh, uh, countries. So, Strong rule of law is one of them, solid democratic credentials and uh, political, you know, well-functioning political institutions, a healthy level of civil society, um, you know, activity, and also independent media. So I think those are kind of like key features of those countries. When we go to the other side of the ranking, we have Guatemala, Bolivia, and Venezuela, which is kind of like a repeat from last year. They're, um, you know, they, they have some pretty significant degrees of politicization of the anti-corruption agenda, lack of independence of key institutions, um, and uh, corruption in the judiciary, repressed civil society and media, all the stuff you wouldn't want to see in countries trying to combat corruption. So overall, when we look at the index for the 15 countries, um, you know, we saw uh, post steep declines this year compared to last year. The sharpest fall was in Guatemala, but I think it's important to note that Brazil and Mexico, the two large economies in the region, also declined and they're on a multi-year decline, which for us is quite concerning exactly because they're the largest economies in the region. Now there's a tremendous amount of detail in the index, but I'd like to just highlight maybe three key points from this year. 
So firstly, although economic malaise, inflation, and um, you know, lingering effects of the pandemic are front of mind for most citizens, corruption still remains an important issue. So when we look at Colombia, for example, which recently had elections, combating corruption was actually one of the key issues. The second one is while there are clear signs of regression in a number of countries on the enforcement front, the significant advances in strengthening independence of institutions and enforcement agencies, and also combined with investments in compliance by corporates, obviously, and a greater commitment to transparent business practices in the private sector, means that the region is, although with some regression, still in a much better place than it was 10 years ago. And finally, I think it's worth pointing out that having conducted this exercise for four years now, we can almost categorically state that there's very little correlation between political ideology and anti-corruption enforcement. And this is really important to highlight, particularly because we see some changing political winds in Latin America. Um, we saw recent leftist candidates in Peru, Chile and Colombia, and may see another one in Brazil, but we shouldn't correlate that to the regression that's happening in, in the anti-corruption arena. Gary, that's so interesting. Uh, thank you. I mean, I know there's a lot of information there, so thank you for boiling it down to bite-sized, understandable pieces for us. And I think you've touched on this. I, I wanted to ask you, you know, this year is marked by elections in the three most populous countries in Latin America, Colombia, Mexico, and Brazil. And I'm wondering, I mean, you did touch on this, but how have they and how will they impact the business crime risk and enforcement trends in these countries and, and across the region? Yeah, so I think to start off, it's worth pointing out that even in a region which has recently seen significant backlash by the political class against the anti-corruption movement, uh, changes in government have not always translated to backsliding in enforcement um, because there is quite a lot of negativity right now um, about anti-corruption enforcement in Latin America. For example, the capacity to combat uh, graft remained remarkably stable in countries which recently had elections, Chile, Costa Rica, Ecuador, and Peru. So this kind of indicates a certain degree of resilience of the anti-corruption institutions in those countries. Now, uh, Latin America, of course, is a very diverse continent and each country needs to be assessed on its own merits. But if we look specifically at Brazil, Colombia, Mexico, I think we can highlight a couple of things. So on the Brazil front, we have presidential elections coming up next month, the first round of presidential elections. We're working with two scenarios here. Um, and one is if Bolsonaro, the current president, wins, um, we'll likely see things continue as they are on the anti-corruption front which includes, for example, more attempts to consolidate control over investigative and oversight bodies. Uh, if former President Lula comes back, there is a possibility, I really stress it's a possibility, it's far from guaranteed, that there may be some improvement in the anti-corruption environment. So while it's true that, you know, it might seem a bit ironic because, of course, the Workers' Party administration were implicated in a number of very um, significant systemic corruption scandals in the past, it's also important to realize that when they were in power, they actually were quite instrumental in strengthening some of the anti-corruption institutions, such as the prosecutor's office and the federal police. All that said, I'm personally skeptical um, about uh, you know, advances even under a Lula government. Um, Lula so far has not committed himself to an anti-corruption agenda, uh, and therefore I think the jury's out for Brazil. When we turn to Mexico, um, you know, as I mentioned, you know, President uh, AMLO or, or López Obrador, he campaigned on an anti-corruption platform, but this never really translated into meaningful anti-corruption enforcement. 
Our most recent uh, CCC index shows that anti-corruption institutions continue to be weak, and Mexico saw setbacks in variables we measure. Particularly, we saw a large drop in what we call lawmaking and ruling processes. And this really reflects executive interference in legislative matters, but also judicial matters, which is something we're likely to continue to see for the foreseeable future. Mexico recently had gubernatorial elections, and four of the six states saw um, uh, new governors uh, from the Moreno party, which is um, you know, AMLO's party. And what we expect to see there is something quite similar to what AMLO has actually done, which is use the anti-corruption rhetoric for political gain by accusing previous administration of corrupt practices. So that's not really effective anti-corruption enforcement, it's actually politicization or weaponization of anti-corruption enforcement. I think it's also important to highlight just generally on business crime in Mexico, whenever you have these types of changes, particularly, you know, state level, um, organized crime dynamics tend to change as well. There's a vacuum or a window of opportunity uh, for these organized crime uh, or organized crime uh, groups to take advantage of the transition periods. Uh, and I think, um, you know, we're, we're, we're closely monitoring this in any case uh, in Mexico. So let, lastly, let's take a look at Colombia, where we saw President Petro elected in June. So in the last couple of months of the outgoing Duque administration, we saw some momentum building on anti-corruption front, which included the adoption of an anti-corruption bill. However, that bill was ultimately passed, or the bill that was ultimately passed did not fully address some of the key issues uh, on the anti-corruption front, particularly when it comes to corruption, the judiciary and the influence of special interests in government, which are two of the key challenges Colombia's traditionally faced on the anti-corruption front. And although fighting corruption featured prominently in the campaigns for both presidential candidates, we don't really expect to see any major improvements in the enforcement landscape. I think a key uh, space to watch in Colombia is this new political class that's rising with Petro uh, and is now being appointed to government posts as a reward for supporting Petro during the presidential campaign. And we think it's likely that this new political class which for the first time will actually have access to some pretty vast state resources, will aim to secure some degree of control over oversight bodies as a means to protect their specific interests. Um, the last thing on Colombia I'd say is that uh, Petro has also embarked on a, on a uh, mission to really forge legislative alliances across the spectrum of um, the political arena. Um, this includes some of the more traditional political parties in Colombia. And the flip side of this initiative is probably that the anti-corruption effort won't really feature as a priority in this broader coalition in Congress. So summary is we kind of see stagnation um, and perhaps a little bit more regression going forward across all three countries. Wow, Garrett, thanks for that. That's really interesting. And uh, I can relate to the politicization issue. I mean, I'm very focused obviously on the US and the UK, so it's uh, really interesting to hear detail that you have on, on what's going on in LATAM. So let me ask you this, on, on a practical note, what are your main recommendations to entities operating in LATAM for, for managing corruption risks? All right, so I probably have about 20 of them, but I'll kind of stick <laughs> to five if that's okay. It's, um, so corruption risks obviously take many forms in Latin America. And I think um, you know, some drives of corruption risks include, for example, poorly enforced rules around campaign financing, um, lack of lobby legislation or regulations, uh, you know, to provide greater transparency, um, you know, in government uh, interactions with government. And also, for example, the continued use of emergency spending regimes by governments, even in a, well, maybe optimistically stated a post-pandemic world. So these are kind of the risk drivers. 
Now, given the mixed uh, dynamic and pretty volatile anti-corruption enforcement landscape in Latin America, I think there are a couple of areas we're advising clients on, at least, and I think a couple of areas companies should focus on. Firstly, and this sounds pretty obvious, but it's a really important one. I think there's a need to reinforce commitment to ethics compliance and a culture of transparency. Now, you can easily determine how committed executive teams and boards are in this regard. Um, for example, you know, do compliance teams or does the leadership have sufficient seniority in the company? Do they have sufficient independence? Do they have sufficient resources to actually do something effectively and implement and, and maintain a robust and, uh, and effective compliance program? And I'm mentioning this because given that so many of the countries in Latin America are going through some economic malaise, um, companies are starting to cut costs and, you know, compliance is obviously a space to watch. So that's the first. The second one is, and I, I really can't overstate the importance of this, is the need to periodically refresh these risk assessments. And that's not only because companies need to know what kind of risk they're exposed to, and these obviously evolve over time. But it's also because the enforcement landscape is changing and that changes, uh, you know, the likelihood and the severity, for example, of punishments that are applied. This may sound a, a little bit too uh, theoretic, but when we consider the fact that, you know, um, deterrence effects of anti-corruption enforcement are a really important driver for obviously behaviors of executives and companies and the like, when we see the anti-corruption enforcement movement slip in some places, or at least where it's becoming a little less clear what, which direction's taking. Um, we've also seen most recently executives and government officials like slipping into old habits in quite a disturbing manner. Um, so this is, uh, I think, the, the, the importance of not only mapping and highlighting you know, key risk issues, but also to the extent to which they're actually going to be enforced. Um, so the third point I'd like to add is you know, there's a tremendous amount of creativity, unfortunately, in using third parties to commit uh, illicit acts, including corruption. And um, I, I would just highlight that for the purpose, you know, to make sure that companies really have third party programs that are actually effective, they need to have a couple of characteristics and need to make sure they constantly um, adapt them. So obviously they need to be risk-based and that their risk levels are very clearly defined. But there also needs to be very clear form of testing for coherent business purpose for these particular third parties. And that's not always the case in the programs that we look at. And the third point is, and this comes also from the DOJ um, updated guidance for the evaluation of corporate compliance programs or the effectiveness of them, is the need to continuously monitor them. Um, I mean, the third party risk continues to be probably central to most corruption scandals, probably around the world, but certainly in Latin America. The fourth, um, in the same vein, companies really need to accelerate efforts and become much more adept at using technology to monitor transactions and communications and the tools they can actually use or technology tools they can use to conduct investigations and internal audits. We've obviously seen the explosion around the world, not just of data volumes, but also the types of data sets, both inside the company and outside the company that can potentially be very relevant for investigations. And, you know, we've seen our data analytics teams, for example, they're absolutely, you know, they're probably amongst the busiest teams uh, right now, um, you know, in, in the business. Um, and, uh, you know, we've seen some companies make efforts in, in this direction using more technology, um, but there are plenty of user-friendly and cost-effective technologies out there that I think companies should be looking to adopt um, and which will help them, I think, stay ahead of, uh, you know, corruption risk issues, rather look through the rear view mirror and embark on investigations. 
And the final point is, I think one of the key insights from the CCC index is how interrelated corruption and political risks are. So companies and compliance teams need to monitor political risks as well. Um, and they need to do that closely to uh, help inform what a robust, effective, and um, you know, uh, compliance program might uh, be, right? So the, it needs to factor into that. This is particularly true, I think, when operating in countries where there's heightened risk of politicized enforcement, like some of the um, examples I mentioned, which unfortunately is something we're seeing more broadly across the region. So I think that's um, probably enough from the recommendations. There are plenty more, of course, uh, but back to you, Doug. Thanks so much, Garrett. I mean, that was really, really insightful. Uh, I know I asked you to, to make it short, but you squeezed really just a great amount of the most pressing issues in business crime across Latin America into these just several minutes. So thank you so much for doing that. I know I know where to go if I need an expert in Latin America, and hopefully our listeners will too. I think you, would, you are the expert. So thank you for taking the time and sharing your insights with us. Oh, it's a real pleasure. I, I do want to give a, a plug to uh, some of the other episodes we've done. We've done two other episodes covering the U.S., the U.K., Germany, and France, and we've tried to highlight some of the key differences and similarities in business crime and enforcement cultures around the world, uh, taking into account the political issues you mentioned. And uh, I recommend that folks listening to this check those out. And also, please do check out Control Risk Capacity to Combat Corruption Index. As we said, it's Garrett's fourth time doing this. So he's gotten pretty good, as you could tell. Um, but please do check it out and please do reach out to him if you have any questions. And everyone else, please join us again on the next episode of The Most Important Issues in Business Crime. Thanks very much. Mm -hmm.